I don't know about you, but I like, I like to dream. I like to sit around and dream up stuff. I like to talk to dreamers. I like to talk to people that, that like to have a vision and talk about things that what can be. That's the beauty of dreaming. Um, you know, a lot of times those, those things go unmet and, and we have expectations for them that maybe we, we shouldn't have or, or that, that sometimes lead us to places we don't want to be, but we should never stop dreaming because that's the risk of, of dreaming. Um, and that's the beauty and the fun of it. So I like to do that. And I like to talk to people that, that can see things or, or, or can conceptualize things that aren't there yet. And um, it's a gift and it, it's, a, it's a really beautiful and fun thing. I tell you, it's even more fun to do it when you're talking about things that God can do. Because we've, we've talked about this before, uh, when we pray to God and as we serve God and as we ask God to do those things, um, we see his evidence in his scriptures, evidence in history, and evidence in our own lives that he actually has the power to do those things. And he has the ability and he has the strength and he has the, the wherewithal to do the things we dream about. Now, some of the things we dream about, we want him to do that they, they're probably not the best for us. And uh, that he doesn't do them and then we have the wrong impressions about God. But the beauty of God and his power is he can actually do something with his power. And so what that should do is that should enhance the, the desire and that should enhance the joy and the experience of dreaming. Knowing that we, when we dream and when we pray and when we ask God to do things according to his will in our lives and in the lives of the people we care about and in the world, that he actually has the power to do it. So when you dream, you can dream almost with an expectation that God is going to do something and can do something. Again, Sometimes the things that we dream up are our expectations and our desires, and they don't always fit into what God wills for us and what he wills for the world. But at the end of the day, still a fun, joyous, beautiful pursuit to dream and to ask the question, what lies ahead? I don't know if you do that for your life. I don't know if you do that for your career. I don't know if you do that for your relationships. Um, I'm sure... That, that those of you who are single in here, you, you dream about those things. And those that are married dream about different things. But, but, but those that all that work and have desires to make an impact and difference in the world, we dream about those particular things. And, and then we, we, we dream about being in a better place. I hope and pray that we dream about what God can do in and through us. I hope that while we're dreaming about the future spouses and about future relationships and, and about future situations and future circumstances that might be better for us and, and that, that might better suit us and, and when we're dreaming about starting families and we're dreaming about uh, things in our marriage and, and we're dreaming about uh, what we can do and partake in, in the world and we're, we're dreaming about our sports teams and we're dreaming about championships and trophies and things we can, you know, rib our friends about. I thought there would be more engagement in that idea. As we're dreaming about all this stuff that we dream about, I pray that somewhere in our dreams, somewhere in our expectations, somewhere in our vision, I pray actually that the core and the whole of the vision and the whole of the dream involves what we desire for God to do and what we desire for him to do in the world and, and in and through our lives. I hope that when we ask the question, what lies ahead? that the will of God, the glory of God, and the person of Christ are not left out. Philippians chapter three says this, 
Paul just got done teaching on the priceless value of knowing Christ. That, that we get to, to know this Jesus, that God is transcendent in who he is. We were just talking about it, his power, he's the creator. He, he's, he's supreme over everything, but yet he's also near to us and he came near to us through Christ. And, and through Christ, uh, when he ascended into heaven, the Bible says he gave us his Holy Spirit so we can know God and walk with him and know his heart and live and, 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 and live out the desires that he has for us. And so not only is he powerful and transcendent and set apart, he's, he's also near and close and imminent to us. And so Paul is like trying to unpack this idea. It's a huge idea that we need help to understand. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand a big thought like that. And, and he's just teaching about what that looks like. And he gets down into verses 7 through 11 and, and talks about what he valued before so much and what he dreamed about before so much and what he thought about what lied ahead for him so much that now those things, those dreams, those aspirations kind of seem like, and he says it right here, I won't say it, I'll read it so you don't think I think this about your dreams. He says, I have discarded everything else I used to count as, as uh, wor- full of worth, as garbage. I didn't, I'm not saying that about your dreams, and neither is Paul. Basically what he's saying is, is that the dreams and the aspirations and the desires that you have, once Christ is in the picture, it makes it look like before Christ and before the understanding of God's power in my life to do those things like garbage. But as we dream and as we look to move down the road and to see God do these things in our lives, those dreams and those aspirations in Christ become priceless. And so this is what he's teaching on. And then he gets in verse 12 and he says this. He's talking about this relationship with Christ. Wanting to experience Christ's power in such a way through faith in his life that it, that it looks like and it feels like and the experience of it is like the power that raised Christ from the dead. That's pretty good power. Lots of power. But watch this. I love how he inserts himself as a human being in here. What's verse 12? He says... I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things (laughs) or that I have already reached perfection. So he he brings it back down to the idea that, that contrasting that this is about Christ, this is about him and his power, and when inserted into a human life, the things that we dream and aspire to take on this whole new level of understanding and beauty and, and passion and joy and desire. He says, but as a human being, as we live on this earth and we journey through this life, uh, don't, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that I've arrived at this and I totally get this and that I'm perfect. So he wants us to remind us that the idea of, of what lies ahead and dreaming and living this life finds itself fully embedded on the foundation of Jesus and that he makes it worth living. He makes it that much more beautiful. He makes it that much more hopeful. He makes it that much more purposeful and that much more real. Not the fact that I get it. It's Christ. But I press on. He says, you know, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I get this. It just means that I've 
understood what Christ has done in my life. And, and because I understand what he's done, I am really excited about what he's going to do. And so because I, I realize I've, I've not arrived yet, I'm not perfect, and I don't get this at the highest level. And, and Paul's like saying to his readers here and to us that, that I'm not saying I'm perfect and, and I'm above you. I'm, I'm saying that, that it's Christ and it's for you. Because he says, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. So the perfection is in Christ and in his love and in his grace for us and the way in which he captures and redeems us. That is the ultimate thing in life. And Paul says, so I just keep going even though I'm not perfect and even though I haven't arrived with this relationship with Christ because He's perfect in his love for me that, that, that captured me, that saved me, that rescued me, that redeemed me. It is perfect. It, it, in fact, it's not only perfect, he uses the word in its tense, it's perfection. Verse 13, no, dear brothers and sisters, he says it again, no peeps, no, no my people, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. That's a pretty good thing to look forward to, heaven. Yeah? No? <laughs> yeah, throw two thumbs up. It's good. Worthy goal, worthy dream, worthy aspiration, right? Through Christ, pretty good one. So we press on. We're not perfect. We keep going. We trust this Christ has saved us. and He's perfection. He's shown that to us. And, and we, we forget what's behind. We're going to talk about what it means to forget in a second, that, that it might not mean it, what you think in the classical sense. And we, we, we focus on this one thing. We press toward the heavenly prize, the thing that lays out there in front of us. If, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you can't get excited about, dream about, or have a vision for heaven, I don't know how to help you. I don't know how to help myself if I can't do that in Christ. Well, we can. That's the, the heavenly prize. That's the, that's the end game. But the beauty of knowing heaven is there. And that is our heavenly prize in Christ. It makes life that much more worth living. It makes life that much better. It makes life that much richer. It makes life that much more purposeful and worth living. Verse 16 is interesting. But because we're looking toward heaven... Because that's the ultimate prize. Because it's out there in front of us. And we can dream about it. And I don't know, when you have a bad Thursday, it looks and sounds pretty good. I don't know about you, but on some of my commutes back to the house, I can dream a lot about heaven. When I look in the mirror, I can dream a lot about heaven. <laughs> Somebody this morning was talking about the inability to eat pancakes in this life and that they pray that one day that'll be on the menu in heaven. He had no idea what I was going to talk about today. So I'm going to dream with him. Big, long stacks. Pfft. 
But because of the dream and the vision of heaven and the beauty of it in Christ, we hold on to the progress that we've already made. We hold on to this life that God has given us. We, we, we pursue it. We live it with passion and hope because of heaven, because of what lies ahead, because of the dream. <laughs> I love this passage. I love it because here's what I discovered years ago. I found this this week. I went to this furious uh, like pursuit to try to find this quote that I wrote down years ago. And I, I, I didn't journal or, or write a lot until about, I'd already been in ministry probably six or seven years. And, and I had a, a, a leadership coach and a mentor in my life who told me I should do that. And I, at, the, at the time, I thought it was goofy. And I thought it was just for, I'm sorry, I thought it was just for girls. Little girls keep diaries. And they write their feelings down. They talk about boys and various things. I, I, I don't do that. And then I realized, that's ridiculous. That it is a, a, a therapeutic thing. It's a powerful thing to write down your thoughts, your dreams even, and your vision for what God wants for your life and what he's teaching you and showing you and me. And so I started doing that. And so I have a, several of them through the years and uh, I, I'm gonna burn them if I ever get sick and, and my life is uh, coming to an end. I, I wouldn't want anyone to read them. Just like my daughter, my eight-year-old daughter just you know, she's got her first diary. And uh, she's been writing a little bit in it. And she came into my office the other day, in my home, my home office. And she showed me a picture of what would happen to me if I looked at her diary. And it was like someone killed over. And I'm like, wow, okay, since we're going to go there. That's how, that's how it's going to be? All right. As soon as you go to school. <laughs> and I will narc you out. And the bottom line is, is that I know how to hide it back exactly the same. Don't mess with the person who messes like that. Tell you don't kill me to read the diary. I'll punk you. And then I'll, I'll put it on a slide when you graduate from high school. And you can go to college and be mad at it. So, yeah, I'm burning those things. Deep thoughts, dreams, struggles challenges. I remember reading Philippians 3. I, I was like, man, I, I, this is somewhere. Maybe I didn't write that down. Maybe I just, it was in my head. But I did. I found it. You know what I love about this? I don't know if this was something I, I read from someone else or whatever. I didn't quote it. So if, I, if I'm quoting someone else, then I, I am an unwillful plagiarist. I don't want to be. But, but I found this and, and the reason why I love Philippians 3 and talking about this today and a great time to talk about it at one year is that this passage, it's about a relationship with Christ giving us a purpose for living instead of just waiting for God to do something nice for us when we die. You see, I feel like sometimes that's the, the whole in, of the Christian life for a lot of us is that we're just waiting around for heaven. It'll be better then. We've got this great prize, and it is a prize. It is a treasure in Christ that we get to be with him for all of eternity. I mean, there's nothing better. The, the presence of Christ alone 
forever is in and of itself heaven. But I think sometimes we miss the boat that it is the picture and the dream of heaven that should inform our lives as we live today. It should make our dreams that much more robust. That's that much more expectant and joyful that we're not just waiting around to die so that God can do something nice for us. That's why I love this. Philippians 3 continues here. In verse 12, he, he says, he uses the word, I press on. I haven't achieved these things, but I press on. Verse 13, I know I haven't achieved it yet, but I focus. So I, I press on and I focus. What I love about this is that because he understands the heart of God, because he understands his relationship with Christ, and what it means for his life and how much purpose it gives him for living and what he can lay hold to in anything that he does and that anything you do and that I do. That Paul isn't discouraged by the fact that he's not perfect. He's not discouraged by the fact that he hasn't arrived yet. He's not discouraged by the fact that he doesn't always get it. I mean, this is the same guy who says, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I should do. And he was tortured by it. But he doesn't get discouraged by the fact that he hasn't arrived. He's motivated by what he knows God can do. So Paul isn't discouraged by what he hasn't done. He's motivated by what he knows God can do. This is huge for people planting a church, starting a church. This is huge for the pastor of the person, or, or pastor person, same thing. Being given the responsibility to lead a church plant because the, the, the sometimes the temptation is to be discouraged by what we haven't done yet. I'm not talking about you. I'm not saying you do this. Maybe some of you do. I'm talking about me. I'm going to fillet me today. And so when I look at this truth, I don't want to get discouraged by what we haven't done yet and what hasn't happened yet. I want to be motivated and passionate about what God can do when he wants and how he wants in his power. So I'll trust his power instead of mine. And I'm good with that, I think. Because if I'm doing it, we're all in real trouble. So I love this about Paul's posture, about his attitude. He's, he's motivated not by what he lacks. And he's not impressed by what he lacks. He is motivated and passionate about what God gives. So because he's motivated, he presses on. Uh, the, the words here, press on, means to catch up to or run fast after something or someone with fury and passion. You know, in some context, in Aramaic, you know what that means? No, you care what Aramaic means, but I'll just say that and you can think I'm smart or not. I always hate that one. In the Greek... In certain implications there, it actually means to pursue and to run fast after with hostility. Like I'm almost so intent on running after this and pursuing it, I'm hostile toward it. I want it badly to do something to it, harm. 
<laughs> but we'll, we'll do the PC one today. That press on means also with fury and passion to, to run fast after. I saw where they're making another Fast and Furious movie. Fast and Furious 45. Sure it'll... I wonder what it's going to be like. I wonder what the movie is going to have in it. I wonder if it'll have cars in it, if, uh, if people will be chased. I wonder if the police will be involved in that movie. I wonder if it'll involve stealing cars and doing things that Christians should do. I, I wonder if they'll have car chases. I wonder if, you know, Vin Diesel will be in it. I don't know. So, such a new concept. Looking at that the other day. I'm sorry if you like the Fast and the Furious. Apologize. But this is, this is the, the, the word picture for us as we press on with the motivation of what God can do and what he's able to do. And, and, and this is the, what we move with in our dreams and our desires for what he wants for our life and, and for our church. Because the heavenly prize is out there, yes, but the heavenly prize is so good and so sweet and so awesome and almost unimaginable to think about that it should inform us in the here and now to keep moving. And, and what we do in keeping moving is just that much better. And, and we do it not because we feel obligated or we feel responsible or we feel guilty, but because we are pressing on with passion and fury and, and hostility, like we're running after something to catch it. Do something with it. This is what Paul means. And he gets down again and says, there's an implication though. To press on, to run with passion and fury and with, with this kind of paradoxical hostility. We, we forget the past and we look forward to what lies ahead, the, the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus it's calling us. Don't get tripped on forgetting the past. It's, it's very difficult to do. Actually, the word there means to neglect it. So you are neglecting the past for the future. When you neglect something, it, all, it makes the implication that you haven't necessarily forgotten it and not put it in the proper perspective, it just doesn't get the attention that the future does. And so I don't necessarily forget, like, oh, forget, it's impossible. We all, if you have a functioning brain, if you have a, what is called a limbic system in the front part of, of your brain and it is firing properly, that's where your brain stores memories, we, we can't forget, and a lot of times we shouldn't. We should remember the things that, that, that God has done in and through us and the things that he's redeemed and, and the experiences and the stuff that he has made us who we are. But in order to press on with fury and passion, though, you have to neglect that for what lies ahead. So it's not your focus in your life. It doesn't consume you in your life. You, you neglect it for something else. So when you neglect something, you give more attention to something else. Doesn't mean you necessarily forget that it's there. You're just spending more time here. So Paul says we press on with motivation, with fury and passion, and we do so neglecting the past, 
Not necessarily classically forgetting, because it's shaped who we are. But we give more attention, we give more time to looking forward to what lies ahead. And ultimately what lies ahead for us is heaven. So the reality of heaven allows us to put the past in the right perspective as we move forward with hope. It is a dangerous thing to neglect the future. I think oftentimes when people neglect the future for the past and cannot move beyond that and don't desire to move beyond it, in fact, enjoy not moving beyond it, in fact, won't receive help to move beyond it, even though per person after person after person after person desires to help, even though God in his sovereignty and his grace desires to help move past it, to live there, to stay there, to neglect the future, especially the heavenly prize and what that means for our life is a dangerous thing emotionally. It's a dangerous thing relationally. And it's certainly a dangerous thing spiritually. That's how people die. That's how they die spiritually. That's how we die inside. That's how we die emotionally. That's how we miss the perspective that God wants us to have moving forward with hope so that that brings purpose to us as we live because heaven is out there. And it makes life better. You ever think about some of the toughest things you've ever been through in your life? The thought, if you're like me, the thought of it being over oftentimes was what got you through. It was what existed on the other side of it was what sometimes allowed you to make it in the moment when you wanted to quit. This is what Paul is saying about what lies ahead for us in heaven. That the understanding and the reality of what is ahead on the other side of this deal gets us through in moments in which we need it most. And to do that, you have to put the past in perspective and you have to neglect it. Not necessarily forget how it shaped you, but you give it more attention to what's ahead. I will stop at this one year and say to us in, a, in an impassioned encouragement for us to do that. Your marriage, your relationships, your individual life, your past church experiences, the things that no doubt some of you have been wounded, some of you have been hurt, and we take that into consideration. We want to love and steward you and help you heal through that. Some of you have been through hard things in your life and some of which we know and some we don't know and some you never tell. But my encouragement to all of us as we move forward to what God has for us and what lies ahead is to neglect how that affects for the future hope of heaven and what that means for you now and what is to come. Don't let it ruin you. Don't let it control you. Don't let it destroy you. And don't die. So I pray that as a church and as people, we have perspective and we move forward with hope. He says in verse 16, we must hold on to 
the progress that we've made. So this is out there ahead of us. This is good. This is exciting. This is beautiful. As I was flipping through those um, pictures this week, there were, there were real tangible images of this idea of holding on to the progress that we've made. You know what I noticed in 90%, 99% of those images, everyone that I saw represented in there are still here. That's a rare thing. And so God has done wonderful things. God has made progress in us. He has made progress in lives. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've hung out with you in, at lunches and coffees. And I, I was hanging out with a, a friend a couple of weeks ago, and he and I were celebrating what God had done in his life. And it was, I went home just with this full heart. And so he's made progress. So just because we look ahead and we desire for God to do something amazing in us and through us and, and, and heaven informs us that we can and, and that we should dream that way and, and that we should do it with passion and we should run after it with fury and hope and we should move forward, we still recognize what he's done now. And he says we should hold on to it and we should value it. I think one of the most, I don't know if anybody in here can relate to me, but one of the biggest struggles I've had in my adult life, and especially in my adult ministry life, which has pretty much been the whole of my adult life, I surrendered to ministry when I was 21 years old. This has been a challenge, and I think this can also be dangerous for people and for churches and especially ones that are just getting started. This idea of holding on to the progress that has been made. Someone prayed this morning in our prayer time that let's not take for granted the small things, the big things that God has done. And we do that often. But I think failing to celebrate what God is doing right now, you know what that does? That takes the joyful expectancy out of the dream of what lies ahead. Because we're just on to the next thing. And we forget and can't even take a moment to celebrate and recognize what God is doing now. And I, guys, I'm the worst at that. I, I want to see what's next. I told you I'm a dreamer. I, I told you I like vision and, and, and need to have that. And, and I like to keep things moving. And, and, and oftentimes I realized at a point in my life where the things lost their beauty and they were losing their impact in my life and, and, and I wasn't recognizing things God was doing and had done just because he desired it and had grace and pleasure to do it and I wasn't even recognizing it because I wanted to move on to the next thing. Couldn't even celebrate something God was doing. It is a miserable way to live. So, so here's what maybe we can do is we think about what lies ahead as we pray and as we run furiously with passion after what God has for us and as we dream big dreams and we have high hopes and we do so because of heaven and, and what, what God has ultimately has for us and how that just makes things so much better. I pray though that this is not a church that commits a party fail. How many of you went to college? You ever heard that term? Party fail. Somebody does something at a party, embarrasses themselves, spills a drink, does something. Party fail. 
this is what I don't want to happen in my own personal life and my family. I don't want to lead my family this way. I don't want my eight-year-old daughter to be formed in her thinking and in her life that she can't celebrate anything and certainly can't celebrate what God is doing because she's on to the next. Failing to give God glory and proper understanding of what that perspective looks like and what that will look like going forward. I don't want to do that. And I certainly won't want to lead this church and miss all that God is doing in the, in the moment, right now. I know we're not trying to just capture moments. We're trying to start a movement. But I think the way in which movements keep going and have power and have longevity is the people that are in them are able to celebrate what God is doing right now and aren't so busy looking ahead to what he can do and what we hope he will do that we miss him in the moment. I don't want to do that. Because I can sit around, if you go and hang out with me, I can sit around and I can tell you all my dreams about what I want to see God do in this church and all the dreams about what he'll do in this city and all the dreams about the activity and the mission. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight if you want to come back. All the dreams about what I want him to do in my family and in my marriage and in my daughter's life all the dreams that I have for you, all the dreams that I have for my friends, all the dreams that I have for friends that don't live here and people that I care deeply about. It's weird how God puts things in your life in, in, in certain times. I was talking to my former youth pastor this week and it's his last day today at the church that we serve together. And it's a big day for them. Me and Bonnie and Livy made a little video for him last night just telling him we love him and they're moving on, and it got me thinking about this idea of, and I got under conviction, I'll just be honest with you, that I think it, when things are gone and when they've moved past you, that's when you really want to value it and treasure it. And it's just sad when we do that and don't live in what God is doing, hold on to it, as Paul said, and fail to celebrate what he's doing right now. So I want to tell you today, I believe that what God is doing right now is as significant and as eternal and is as powerful of what he will do. And I pray as he does this now in the moment that he will, in his grace and through faith, do it again and again and again and that we will be willing, able and faithful and obedient enough to be there when he does it. So that is my prayer for us of what lies ahead. That is my prayer for me of what lies ahead. And that is our, my prayer for our church. That we don't commit party fails. That we celebrate what God's doing right now. And that gives us joyful expectancy about what he's gonna do. And you know what he's ultimately gonna do? He's gonna take you to heaven. It's pretty good. Pretty good ending to the movie. Something to think about as we walk through this life. I'll end with Paul's words as a prayer in Philippians 3, 7. Pray this with me. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless. How, why is it worthless? not worthless because it's worthless. 
It's worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Father, thank you for...